Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning to the message I'm calling Daddy's Gift of Grace. I don't know of a biblical narrative that incarnates the triumphant message of grace more passionately, more accurately, more lovingly, more tenderly, and even more graciously than the story of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. You say, Pastor Mark, boy, I've heard that story preached a hundred times, and I've heard it preached a lot of times too. Football fans love watching football, and they never tire of watching the same players run up and down the same field, doing the same plays, cheering for their team as they win. And you know, every time I read that story, I just absolutely cheer, not just for the prodigal, but I cheer for the father. That's who my cheering goes for. Friends, Daddy made sure that his prodigal son won and won big. Daddy made sure that there was a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree when the prodigal son came home. Daddy made sure that his inauguration was fit for a king. Daddy wasn't going to take his son all the way down to the goal line and then fail to take him in to his promised eternal inheritance. So it is with you, so it is with me. Our daddy is not going to let us run our race in vain and then let us end up on the losing team. We possess the promised eternal inheritance. And it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. I love these scriptures. He says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator. Let me tell you something about a mediator. A mediator is a person between two persons, okay? And so I don't have to worry about going to the Father with my stuff because Christ is already in the middle. He's not just my buffer. He's my mediator. So he's always presenting me to the Father that, Father, I shed my blood for this one. Father, I shed my blood for this one. And he is my mediator. He says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator, and I love this, he says, of a new covenant. Well, if he says there's a new covenant, that must mean there must have been an old covenant, right? He said he's the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the the first covenant. Set them free from what? Bondage, guilt, all the big hitters, shame, torment, fear, condemnation, and I love this one, the penalty of death. He died as a ransom to set us free from all of that bondage. It all can be grouped together. This is the essence of what the prodigal's father is trying to let his son experience. He's like, son, you're free from all that bondage and that guilt. Can you imagine what the load was that he returned home with? But I love this as I was meditating last night. I thought, wow, all five of the prodigal senses were on high alert as he came home. They were all activated. You know, we can see, we can hear, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch. And every one of those things you find in the prodigal son, the first one is he saw his father. I want you to know something. How you see the father makes a difference. I don't know what he thought he was going to see. He might have thought the father was going to come after him with a hatchet. I don't know. His mind was carried away. But when he saw the father, he saw the father leaping through the fields, coming for his boy. What a sight to see. If I would have been the son, I'd been like, really? I mean, my mind would have been like, what's the deal? I've never seen daddy run to do anything. But daddy was running. 
The Bible says he wasn't walking. He wasn't just skipping. He was running. That means there was a passion that was at work. That's the first thing he did is he saw his daddy. The second thing, the second sense was touch. Oh, Pastor Steve, when the father reached his son, the Bible says he threw his arms around his son and he hugged him. Listen, man, this wasn't the kind of hugs we give in church, like this little thing to the left or this little thing to the right. This was the bear hug. I mean, he put his arms around his boy. The Bible says he hugged him and he kissed him. Listen, I love that part about getting kissed there because that is the next sense, really. It's the sense of smell because when the father kissed him, she thought I was going to kiss her. When the father kissed him, I better go back to Steve here. He didn't just give him the little peck on the left and the right cheek, which was kind of the custom of the day. When the father kissed him, the Bible says it literally means he kept kissing him. He continually kissed him. He couldn't stop kissing him. I don't know how long this went on. It could have went on for 10 minutes, but he kept kissing his son. And listen, that means his eyeballs were to his eyeballs. His nose was to his nose. His mouth was to his mouth. His son smelled what his daddy had for breakfast that morning. He smelt his daddy. His daddy was right in front of him. So now he has saw his daddy. He has touched his daddy. He has smelt his daddy. And then his daddy opens up his mouth and begins to speak such wonderful, gracious words. Oh, go read it. We'll read it in a minute. But he began to speak just grace into his son's life. Something that he didn't expect to hear. I expected to get condemnation. I expected to get a guilt trip. Friends, let me tell you something. Don't ever do that to anybody, okay? And if you do it, just stop doing it, okay? Don't put any condemnation or any fear or any guilt or any shame on anybody. This is a perfect example. Listen, as I was thinking about this, who in the world could have blown it more than this guy? I mean, I've blown it before. Have you ever blown it? This guy's really blown it. He saw his daddy. He touched his daddy. He smelled his daddy. He heard his daddy speaking gracious words. You say, what about the taste part? <laughs> Did he taste his daddy? Listen, do you know what the daddy was doing? He was just pouring out all of his goodness. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, when you're good to somebody, it has a flavor. You kind of get a taste of it. Mmm, it tastes so good. So that prodigal, listen, I know he's going to taste the roast in a little while, but the roast wasn't cooking yet. No, because the daddy hasn't ordered the fattened calf to get killed yet. The roast wasn't cooking yet. But he's experiencing the father. There's five senses. Five is the number for grace. Daddy was pouring out grace on his son. Oh, it's so beautiful. We not only possess the promised eternal inheritance, but we possess our enemy's gates. You don't hear that talked about too often. We possess our enemy's gates. Our promised land is not just heaven. Our promised land is the now. You start thinking like that. Quit thinking about just about heaven and think about you can have heaven right now. Our opponent does not own one of the end zones. We own both of them. All right, we own them both. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gave believers access to those territories right now. We possess our enemy's gates. Start thinking like a son and not a servant. Start thinking like a rich man and not a beggar. Start thinking like a winner and not a whiner. Start thinking like a victor and not a victim. Start thinking like a prince and not a pauper. Start thinking like a whole man rather than a man full of holes. Start thinking and seeing yourself the way God sees yourself. See yourself as the apple of God's eye and not just the banana peel under his foot. I'm telling you, God loves you. God is crazy about you. And this story is to show us how much God loves us. 
Listen, Jesus is the one who's telling this story. John chapter 12, he said, I don't say anything I don't hear my father say first. So I don't know if the father told him in prayer that morning or when it was, but Jesus said, I don't do anything and I don't say anything. I don't first see or hear my father do or say. So the father would have said, son, listen, I want you to tell him this story, okay? Because I really want them to get the full flavor of my goodness. So tell him, tell him, I'll tell you when I want you to tell him. But when I do, you tell him, okay? Hallelujah. Stop believing the lie of the enemy when he tells you you're disposable. You are not disposable. You are eternal, and you have a promised eternal inheritance. We wear our daddy's robe of righteousness now. We wear our daddy's ring of oneness now. We wear our daddy's shoes of sonship now. We eat the fattened calf now. We receive daily hugs and kisses from daddy. Daddy is the one who hiked up his robe and then skips passionately through the meadows just to be able to embrace you with all of his goodness. Why? Why would daddy do that for us? The prodigal son didn't deserve that. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Why would daddy do that for us? Because daddy's gift of grace is not conditional. It is not based upon our performance or our ability to hold on to the ball. His grace is lavished on us because of the truth that we are accepted in the beloved. His name is Jesus. He is daddy's gift of grace. We possess our enemy's gates. It's interesting to know that that phrase comes up for the very first time in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, and it's in the covenant God makes with Abraham. That's where he first says those words that you're going to possess your enemy's gates. What's powerful about it is because as we dream back here for a moment, our relationship with God is patterned after Abraham's. Our relationship with God says, listen, we have a covenant of grace through faith, just exactly the way Abraham's covenant was. Do you know Abraham was under an unconditional covenant? It was not based upon his performance. It was not based upon his ability to do things a certain way. It was an unconditional covenant. God said, I'm going to bless you, son. I'm going to bless you. The daddy said, I'm going to bless you, son. Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 and 17. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. Now, when the angel of the Lord is calling to Abraham, he has already spared Abraham from killing his son, Isaac. He was about to do it, and the angel of the Lord said, don't do it, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. And then he says this, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. I guess he didn't get it the first time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies. Friends, the gates that the enemy once used to imprison us have been removed from their hinges. He no longer owns those gates. We own those gates, okay? He's taken them off the hinges. He's taken us out of the prison. He's taken us out of the stuff that used to bind us at one time. In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, we find this truth. Jesus is talking. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs up in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Watch this now. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I want you to see the word he. Now, who do you think he is right there? That's Jesus, isn't it? And another name for Jesus is just grace. And so it's literally saying grace leads them out. 
Leads them out of what? Leads them out of a far country. Leads them out of a pig pen. Leads them out of bondage. Leads them out of that bondage of performing to please our daddy. You ever watch a guy, he fumbles the ball or he misses a critical play and he just beats himself up over and over, throws his helmet down on the sideline. He's just mad. That's just condemnation. Listen, all that charade is not going to change the fact that you fumbled. It's not going to change the fact that you missed the ball. And you know what? That's what the enemy wants to do. Every time we stumble, fumble, or whatever it may be, he wants us to throw a fit. He wants us to get in condemnation. We don't have to go there. I want you the next time anything happens in your life, when you sense that fear, you sense that condemnation coming on you, I want you to stop and intentionally take control over that in the name of Jesus Christ. Grace always leads us out. In Galatians chapter 3, these are the scriptures that really kind of undergird and make the prodigal story make sense, okay? Because it's the foundation. If you don't have a foundation, it doesn't matter how pretty your house is, you have to have a good foundation. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now let's just pause and let that settle in your heart for a second. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he do? He believed God. What else did he do? He believed God. What else has he got to do? He believed God. Past tense. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Do you have faith? Absolutely. God has measured unto every man the measure of faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. I told you it started with Abraham. It was a covenant of grace through faith. He says, all who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. I know this is ground people keep going down, but you know what? Repetition is the motherhood of learning. He's saying here again, he says, all that rely on the law, you're under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Friends, as we run through this world, we are occasionally going to fumble. We're occasionally going to step out of bounds. We're occasionally going to get intercepted, and we're going to once in a while get knocked down. You ever had the wind knocked out of you? I have. It doesn't feel good. I'm telling you, occasionally that's going to happen. I'm not talking necessarily in the physical realm, but I'm talking more so the emotional realm. I'm talking in the mental realm. If you let Satan rent space in your head, he's going to knock the wind out of you over and over and over again. That's why we must stand on the Word of God, and it starts with that foundation that undergirds us and tells us who we are in Christ, so that when we look in the mirror and he's trying to tell you, you are somebody else, you say, no, sir, I am the righteousness of God in Christ in Jesus name daddy is not going to let us get knocked out of the race we won at the cross we won now and we win in the end get that in your heart losing is not in our vocabulary we won then we win now and we win forever Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16 
The godly may trip seven times. I don't know if I like that scripture. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. I do like that part. The godly will trip or fall or stumble, however version you read, seven times. And it doesn't mean the eighth time you're in big, big time trouble. Literally seven is the perfect number, and it's literally saying there is no amount of times that the godly can fall because they are going to rise again because the Father's grace is going to come underneath you with all of his senses. He's going to run to you. He's going to touch you. He's going to put his breath in your breath. He's going to love you. He's going to look at you. He's going to whisper sweet things in your heart. Amen. I like this part though, the second part of that scripture, which we don't usually read. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. (laughs) Did you hear that? Just one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Satan's trick play backfired on him and he was defeated. He thought if he could just crucify the Son of God, it would be all over. But Satan was short-sighted like he always is. You see, if Satan had known what he was doing when he crucified the Lord of glory, the Bible says, he would have never done it. He thought the crucifixion was his greatest victory, but in actuality, it was his ultimate defeat. No wonder Satan hates the blood. No wonder Satan hates the blood of Jesus Christ. See, if he'd have known what he was doing, he would have never shed that innocent blood. But it was done, the Bible says, and it was done once for all, and it can never be undone. That blood was shed one time. It was shed for you. It was shed for me. It was shed one time, once for all. Friends, Jesus' shed blood is Daddy's gift of grace to us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we find these words. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Listen, I wish I had a blood pressure cuff on every time I'd read something like that because I know it just went up about two points. God made me alive in Christ. Now it's going up some more. He forgave us all our sins. How many did he forgive? He forgave all our sins. And then I love this too. He canceled something. Wait a minute. See, when you cancel a membership, you can't go back in the place, right? I've got a workout membership, but if I decide to cancel, I can't go back in there and be in there. He didn't only just simply forgive us of our sins. He canceled, the Bible says, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us. In other words, listen, it's one thing to say, listen, you don't have to make any more payments. But I'll tell you what, if I just stopped making payments, my creditors would call me. It was essentially what God was saying here is not only can the payment stop, son, your creditors are not going to be calling you anymore either. It's been canceled. Your debt has been canceled. He has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. We sang about that this morning. He took it away, nailing it to his cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Selah. You know what Selah means? It means pause and think about that. The story of the prodigal son from start to finish, from beginning to end, showcases the extravagant and tender love of the daddy for his son. This story unveils the extreme kindness of a good, good father. Friends, this story is not about a runaway rebel. It's not about a sinful son. It's about daddy's gift of grace which comes in the manifestation of hugs and kisses and parties and music and dining and dancing and celebrations and compassion and love and forgiveness and acceptance and so much more. It's about a father who lavishes unrestrained grace 
on a son who was actually deserving of death. Oh, he was. But the father couldn't restrain the grace that he had and the love that he had for his son. It's the same grace and the same love he has for us. Why is Jesus telling this story? Because he's wanting us to see a picture of his daddy. He's wanting us to see a, a wonderful picture. Friends, a Snapchat is only here for a second and goes away and you can't do anything with it. Once you look at it, it's gone, it's gone. But this is not a Snapchat. This is an eternal picture of what daddy looks like and what daddy acts like and what daddy smells like and what daddy sounds like and what daddy's feel feels like. Oh, man. And as I was thinking about that right there, I thought, what got into daddy? Did daddy get saved while the prodigal son was off squandering his wealth? The better question is this. How could the prodigal son, who lived in the same house with daddy, who slept in the same bed with daddy, who ate the same food with daddy, who went hunting with daddy and fishing with daddy and to the market with daddy and worked the fields with daddy, how could a son that spent that much time with daddy not know the heart of his father? Good question, isn't it? Friends, let me tell you something. It's for the same reason that believers today do not know the heart and the love and the grace of our God, our daddy. It's because we get steeped in religion and in the busyness of trying to earn acceptance, we totally overlook daddy's gift of grace. You see, herein lies the problem with the prodigal. He did not come home with expectations of sonship. He came home with hopes of servanthood. I want you to know every time you approach daddy, you approach him with expectations of sonship. I'm his son. You're his daughter. Don't approach him with, I just want to serve you, daddy. Listen, we get to serve. It's not our position. We get to serve. Our identity is not serving. Our identity is sonship. And so when he came home, he came home with this identity of, I'm just a servant. If I could just be a servant. He didn't even know if daddy would accept him for that. What I want you to see through the narrative I'm about to get into with the prodigal son is this. Daddy's gift of grace is no gift at all if we have to earn it, work for it, or maintain it. Oh, man. You know, there's another name for that. They call it wages. Daddy's not into hired hands. Staffing agencies can do that for you. Daddy's not into helping hands. Hamburger helper can do that for you. Daddy's into healing hearts. Daddy is into healing hearts, and he does that through his own healing hands, the very hands that were nailed to the cross, it was Jesus' hands. In the mid-1990s, there was a song that came out. It was by Jonathan Pierce. It was called Healing Hands. I don't know if Jonathan had the prodigal son in mind when he wrote it, but it seems like he might have. But it's got some powerful words in there. Pick up your heart and carry it to healing hands. There is no scar, no pain he won't understand. Those broken dreams you've carried this far need his touch to mend. Pick up your heart and carry it to healing hands. What brought you here to the time, to the place where your own strength is found? It's in. That's the prodigal for you. His own strength came to an end. He was starving to death. He was weak. What brought you here to the time, to the place where your own strength is found? It's in. And the load that you bear is too heavy to carry. Come bring it all to him. Pick up your heart and carry it too healing hands. There is no scar, no pain. Let me insert another thing in there for Jonathan. No sin that he won't understand. Those broken dreams you've carried this far need his touch to mend. Pick up your heart and carry it too. 
healing hands. Oh, and then it says this, for the soul that knows surrender, He is gracious to hold us so tenderly. Oh, I wanted to sing it there for a second. Oh, he holds the note when he says tenderly, though. He's so gracious to hold us so tenderly. I believe that the prodigal son and daddy were thinking the same thing. If I can just get my hands on you. The son was probably thinking that daddy was going to wring his neck, but instead daddy kissed his neck and put a ring on his finger. Oh, we can misread daddy. We can misunderstand how good our father is. You're thinking the hands are going to come out around your neck. And he's, no, 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 no. Just give me a hand. I want to slip a ring on it, son. You misunderstood daddy. And still didn't even condemn him for that. Friends, I want to say it again. Daddy's gift of grace is no gift at all if a person has to earn it or maintain it. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 28. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'd say to somebody, memorize Romans 3.23. Well, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's an interesting thing that the very next line where it says, and all are justified freely by His grace. You see the comma after of God? Verse 24 starts with that word and right there. Why did they do I'm not sure why they even did that because it's really all one thought. You know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace. What kind of grace? Daddy's gift of grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. And see, that's what the prodigal son's all about. It's the demonstration of the Father's righteousness. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now let me say this, and I've said it before, All of our sins have been thoroughly punished now through the body of Jesus on the cross. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? So it asks this question. Boasting just means bragging. It says, where then is boasting? And then it says this, it is excluding. Listen, I don't have anything to brag about except Jesus. I don't brag about anything I do, everything I've done, other than I just like to brag about Jesus. I don't have any boasting in myself. I brag about Christ. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works. (laughs) No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified, watch this now, by faith apart from the works of the law. The prodigal's mindset was to work his way back into the grace of his father. If I could just serve with the slaves for a little while, maybe I'll become top slave. And I'll work my way back in somehow. You know, I mean, it just really, it's a crazy mindset. But his mindset was to work his way back into the grace of the father. Unfortunately, though, that is not an uncommon mindset in the body of Christ. There are Christians that will fall to their knees today in the midst of failure, in the midst of some moral failure or some failure of some sort and you know what their prayer will sound like they'll cry for a little while and then they'll say father what do you want me to do i've went down that road before when i just feel like i failed god and i would cry for a little while in prayer you know and i feel a little bit better getting cleansed you know and then all of a sudden daddy what do you want me to do he's just saying son listen this is what's getting you into the trouble in the first place you need to learn how to rest in me I told you I want you to lie down in green pastures, okay? You want to mow grass all day long, I want you to lie down in green pastures. It's a mindset, really. 
Our default system of program doctrine tells us that when we blow it, we have to earn our way back into some sort of good standing with Daddy. If I could just stand in the shower long enough, I can wash all my failures down the drain, okay? Just turn the water on a little hotter. Just stay in there a little bit longer. Let that filth just wash off of me. Friends, let me tell you something. Jesus' blood's already taken it off of you. If Jesus' blood didn't do it, listen, the water the utility company ain't going to do it for you. It's not true. We don't have to stand in the shower and try to wash all this guilt and shame off of us. Our right standing with God is not maintained by our performance, okay? A bar of lava soap and a Brillo pad is not going to get it off of you, okay? It comes through Daddy's gift of grace, and His name is Jesus. He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. Now, the first few scriptures of the story of the prodigal son. It's way too big. It's a buffet. I can't go through the whole story, but I want you to see a few things. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. Jesus said there was a rich man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I hear Joseph Prince always saying that the law demands and grace supplies. Well, that's the heartbeat of these two here, too. I mean, the father's wanting to supply. The young son is demanding. What did he say? He said, Father, give me. That's a demand. He didn't say, Father, may I please have? He said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And after he goes through that whole time of being broken, he even comes home with this attitude of still demand. Make me. Make me less servant. And the father is saying, no, I got a better idea than give me and make me. Bring me. Bring me the robe. Bring me the ring. Bring me the shoes. Bring me the fattened calf. Son, I'm going to show you what real grace looks like. It's not about demanding anybody to do anything, including our Father. It's about what He brings to us. After He had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and He began to be in need. So He went and hired Himself out to a citizen of that country who sent Him to His fields to feed pigs. This is a Jewish boy that we're talking about who had absolutely nothing to do with pigs. They didn't touch them. They didn't have them on their farms. They couldn't stand them. They were called unclean animals, and they had nothing to do with it. This is how broke this boy is, that the only person hiring is the pig farmer, and he says, i got to have something. And he takes a job where he would have never taken a job any other time in his life. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Why is he saying that? Because he realizes I've just spent the last few years living a lifestyle that wouldn't please my daddy. And so he says, I got a good idea. I'm going to tell him, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I think, again, that we all can agree that the lifestyle that the prodigal son lived when he left home was like a runaway freight train. I bet if he'd have blown in that breathalyzer, it would have went off the chart, friends. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father. Now watch this, Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. But while he was still a long way off, Really important to understand that. Because you know what? Sometimes we start acting like we've got the victory when we feel like we're closer and closer to Daddy. 
But when we feel like we're a long way off, we kind of quit acting victorious. Why do we do that? We want to celebrate when everything's going right. Listen, I'm telling you, you can celebrate in the midst of things when they're not going right. I'm not talking about celebrating evil, but I'm talking about celebrating the goodness of God. I'm talking about celebrating the goodness of my daddy, even when everything is not going exactly right. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So something was driving the father's legs, okay? It wasn't just the muscles. Something was driving his legs, and it was what was inside of his heart. It was the compassion when he saw his son. I don't know how long the son was gone, probably a few years. But when he saw his son, even at a distance, he recognized him. And the compassion just welled up in his heart. And he just began to cruise across that field. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now the speech that the son has been preparing. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And so they began to celebrate. That robe represents the robe of righteousness. And I like how it said in there, bring the best robe. Daddy didn't say get his robe. And the daddy didn't just say bring him one of my robes. Daddy said, bring him the best robe. The best robe was the robe that daddy had reserved for special occasions like weddings. It was the nicest robe. And the servants knew exactly where that robe was at in the house. And daddy said, hey, not just any robe is going to do. I want you to bring the best robe. And you know what? I believe it was the perfect fit. If it would have been 10 sizes too big, daddy wouldn't have embarrassed his son. If it had been 10 sizes too small, it wouldn't have fit on him. I believe it was a perfect fit. And I want you to see that too as you course your way through life, that we're a perfect fit for our daddy. And our daddy fits perfectly on the inside of us. We are a perfect fit. The Bible says that we are made in the likeness and the image of our father. And you know what else? I believe that robe smelled like daddy We wear a pair of pants and throw them in the washer or take them to the dry cleaners. They didn't do that back then. They wore them for months. They didn't wear deodorant back then. Oh, man. But I believe that robe smelled like daddy as it slipped over him. You know, I was reminded in the wee hours of this morning, I drifted back to when I was about five or six years old when I was in a foster home. I was in a foster home for two years. And that home had a certain smell to it. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. You know, I think homes smell actually a lot like the food you cook. And my foster mother was from Germany. She cooked sauerkraut and all that stuff all the time. She even ate Limburger cheese. I believe that's probably why the home smelled the way it smelled. And I didn't see them after I left until I got saved. It was in my late 30s about this time. And I happened to be driving down that road that they lived on. And I thought, I'm going to stop and see if they still live there. I knocked on the door. Her name was Olga. Olga Meyer. She was from Germany. Olga came to the door. I knew that was Olga. I remembered her. I said, Olga, it's Mark. Yeah? (laughs) Olga, it's Mark Testerman. Mark! And she grabbed me. And she hugged me. And she kissed me. And she loved on me. 
And she pulled me into her home, and the amazing thing about it was the home smelled exactly the way it smelled 30 years ago. Smells just don't get up and leave. You've got to force them out with detergent is what I'm saying. And so I believe when the father laid that robe on his son, it smelled like daddy. When daddy puts his robe of righteousness on us, oh man, here's a wonderful truth. Even when we have less than a shining moment in our performance, he smells when he smells the, the sweet fragrance of his son Jesus. I believe when he laid that robe over his son's shoulders, it covered up the residue of alcohol that was on his garment. I believe it covered up the perfume from the harlot that was on him. I believe it covered up the stench from the swine that he had been taking care of. And daddy wanted him to see, son, when you put my robe on you, it's a perfect fit, son. It smells like daddy. And there's a sweet fragrance that comes off of it. It's the aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. But I thank God who always leads us in victory. I told you, I heard my wife say it, we're victors. Who always leads us in victory because of Christ, not because of you, not because of what you've done. Hey, come on, take advantage of that truth, man. It's Christ. It's Christ. We have victory because of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Wherever we go. How, did you love that? Wherever we go. If we go to Haiti, we have victory in Christ. If we stay in Kenosha, we have victory in Christ. Uh, back to South Beloit, all the way there while the Testaments are still driving, we have victory in Christ. Wherever we go, God uses us to make clear what it means to know Christ. Whoa, watch this now. It's like a fragrance that fills the air to God, to God, to the Father. It says, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are saved and among those who are dying. I guess that pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? You're either saved or you're dead. You're alive, you're dead. And he said, you're an aroma like Christ to the dead and to the living, to the saved, to the not saved. Oh, it's so powerful. We are the aroma because why? Because we're wearing daddy's robe of righteousness. What else would it be? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, let's just cut away some of the stuff in black there and read Christ, a fragrant offering offering. Now he just told us that we are a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God because of Christ. And there it tells you right there, Christ is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let's take those two truths and marry them together with Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, if I was crucified with Christ and you were crucified with Christ, just like Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 is saying, that means what is on Christ is on me. And that is that sweet aroma. That's that righteousness of Jesus. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. You can't get into heaven any other way. You can't get into heaven any other way other than to have Jesus's righteousness put on you. Amen. Because you and I are in Christ, and because Christ is a fragrant offering in the nostrils of his Father, then you and I smell like Jesus to the Father. You see, Daddy's gift of grace made us smell like his Son. I read the story recently of a Chinese woman by the name of Chi Young Junfeng. 
Chiang has worn her wedding dress every day since she was married in 2004. Chiang will turn 50 this year. She says that she is so happy to have found true love that she hasn't worn anything other than her wedding dress for the past 12 years. At age 18, Chiang was kidnapped from her hometown and sold to an elderly man. She was forced to marry him and live for 15 years in captivity before she found the courage to run away. Does this sound a little familiar? Just go read Romans chapter 7. It talks about a bride that's been captive to the law, Mr. Law, for a lot of years. And then finally the bride gets the courage because the bride understands who her true identity is and she can run away from Mr. Law and run to Mr. Grace. And that's exactly what Chiang did. Chiang was sold to a man in a neighboring city. He ended up using her as a slave, putting her to work in the fields. After several years of living in captivity, she managed to escape by running to a village where a local woman helped her. Eventually, the woman turned out to be Chiang's savior in more than one way. She introduced Chiang to her own brother, and the couple married in 2004. This event made Chiang so happy that she's refused to wear anything but her wedding dress ever since. Although she got married with the one dress, she went on to make three more. So she's got four dresses that she can wear them in the different seasons. She said, I had only ever known a violent and abusive man, and I avoided men until I met my new husband who brought me truly out of my shell and treated me so differently. Friends, that's what the message of grace will do. It'll bring you out of your shell. It'll treat you the way you're supposed to be treated, the way God wants to treat you. It'll take you out of that first husband's arm. It'll take you out of that slavery. It'll take you out of that bondage. It'll take you out of that field. And if you want to go to the field, and Chiang still does, she doesn't do it because her husband demands it. She does it because she wants to feed her family. She said, I couldn't believe it when he asked me to marry him. I am very happy now, as my husband is very good to me. The locals have regarded Chiang's behavior to be strange, especially when she comes to work in the fields wearing a large white gown. They even have a name for her, Sister Wedding Gowns, is what she is called. I've come by today to tell you that you sure look good, and you sure smell good, my friends. Oh, because you have on a wedding garment. You have a wedding garment on, the robe that is reserved for special occasions, Daddy put on you. The gift of daddy's robe is what he calls the best robe. And it's only a type and shadow to remind the bride of Christ that we have been clothed with a wedding garment called righteousness. It is daddy's gift of grace. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see how righteousness just goes right along with covenant and marriage? Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, or not having a wedding garment of my own, okay? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. Luke chapter 15 and verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And then he says these words, Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring speaks of authority. 
The ring speaks of reconciliation. The ring speaks of completeness. The ring speaks of eternity. But most of all, the ring speaks of oneness. Two becoming one. It was as though the father was reminding the prodigal son that the mantle, the robe of righteousness, would never be taken away from you, son. Did you notice the ring came second? It was the robe and then the ring. He said, I'm going to put the robe of righteousness on you and then I'm going to put a ring on your finger as a covenant that says, I will never take that righteousness off of you. How awesome of a God is that? Amen. Shoes speak of sonship. Slaves didn't wear shoes. It told the prodigal where he'd be sleeping that night. See, he came home thinking he was going to sleep in the barn, but when the father said, put the shoes on him, he realized, hey, only the sons wear shoes. Only the people in the house wear shoes. I want to be sleeping in the house tonight. This is good news. When I think of the music that must have been playing, because the the Bible talks about there was a music that was playing, I can only hear that music rising now over the meadows as the father's hugging his son. What song was it? Was it Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. Amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree. As your grace flows down and covers, was it that song? Was it the one we sang earlier today, It Is Well With My Soul? Was it that song that was playing? I think it sounded more like Jamie Slocum's song called Dependence On You. This is the life I've always wanted, to know the Prince of Peace, to feel my faith restored as your grace surrounds me. This is the day of new beginning. This is where my freedom starts. Now death has lost its sting. And Jesus, how can I thank you just to know, just to know that you love me, gives me strength to carry on, just to know, just to know that you love me. And all these roads I've traveled on, I confess my dependence on you. You see, that's the whole essence of the story. The boy was always dependent upon daddy for everything. He was dependent upon daddy for the robe, the ring, and the shoes. In closing, what was daddy doing by giving his son the robe, the ring, and the shoes? He was imprinting on his son's heart the message, these are daddy's gifts of grace, son. This imprinting will cause you to reign in life my final scripture. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Friends, like Chiyung, the Chinese bride, daddy always sees us with his robe of righteousness. He always sees us in the wedding dress. Daddy has slipped the ring of oneness over our finger, and Daddy has fitted us with the shoes of sonship. His name is Jesus. He is Daddy's gift of grace. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you, Father, for that robe that you put on your son's shoulder to remind me that that same righteousness is on me. I don't have to put on a physical robe. The Bible says I've been clothed with Christ. And I want to thank you that Jesus is my righteousness. And I want to thank you that he stands between me and you as my mediator. So that when I have less than a shining moment, Jesus can say, Father, I did shed my blood for him. I did slip a ring of oneness over his finger. He belongs to us, Daddy. And I want to thank you, Father, that I can walk like a son. Because every time I look down, I'm reminded when I see my shoes that I'm a son. 
I'm a son. I have benefits because I'm a son. My daddy loves me. My daddy loves me. He loves me. Your love, daddy, is that gift of grace in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.